Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Comp Day, the podcast supporting young professionals of color. This is Dre. Um, we're back for part two. Um, I want you know, we won't take too long. We wanted to give y'all, you know, all that juice y'all ordered. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, before we start, I just want to give a quick um, employee of the day. Um, another podcast I want to celebrate, um, different than mine, but related to some extent. Be called the Unseasoned Podcast, Unseasoned. So they are um, young black Ivy League students, and they talk about their experiences um, being in Ivy League as um, black people and basically how to move forward into the um, adult world. And a lot of them are doing that, and they're really cool. Um, so please check them out. They're dope as hell. Um, unseasoned, U-N-S-E-A-S-O-N-E-D, unseasoned like bad, no spice. So yeah, check them out. So um, going back, I have my lovely people here. Um, we took a quick break. Um, so I have a question for Tommy, Prodigy, and Laura. So me and Adrian, we vibe with the whole term black. And a lot of times um, when they talk about people of color, they separate between black and, P- and brown. Do y'all resonate with the term brown? And I know brown has very different connotations. So tell me why and why you would and why you would not resonate with that term. Because I th- I feel like it's just a term they kind of gave to everyone who wasn't black but not white. And was like, take this word but n- didn't like talk to anyone about it. And was like, run with it. And it's like, well, we never heard the opinions of everybody else about it. So let's get a moment to kind of talk about that. So um, who wants to start? Um. I could start. Um, I don't really consider myself brown. Um, I went to high school with a lot of brown people, and to me, brown always meant like Bengali or Pakistani or like Punjabi. So, you know, when I was with those friends, they were considered brown to me and not so much myself. I was more like either Asian or like lighter skin Latino. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't really say that I'm brown, if anything, just like mix of yellow and like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's weird but yeah that that's yeah i mean i think i i identify as brown um but i guess i'm in that category of the easy brown maybe. <laughs> 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 um, so something that's funny which i didn't know was super offensive which it sounds silly now but in when i was in high school in australia we used to call ourselves self-identify as curries, which is really racist. (laughs) But we went to a school where there were only, basically only Indians. So it was just like a fun way to talk about. And we loved curry. So it wasn't offensive. And yet now it is very offensive. But I think um, we, yeah, we were really comfortable in our brownness. And I loved growing up in like a culture where it was so acceptable to talk about you know, the fact that we were Indian, Bengali, Bangladeshi. Uh, so I think for me it's easy to call myself brown, but I think it makes other people uncomfortable. So, I mean, I like it, but it's it's not for everyone, and I get that. Um, I don't identify as brown, um, and I, I hate talking about this because I think that everyone should should be called what they want to be called and I think a really interesting thing in the Sapiens article that was pointed out was that you should ask people what Mm. they identify as before assuming Um, because I don't feel comfortable with the term brown. I think it's just another way to group people into like a a skin tone 
um, and I don't identify with that skin tone necessarily. So, um, and and uh, Tommy's absolutely right. Like, it doesn't resonate with maybe lighter-skinned people or Asian people, and so we don't see people going around calling Asian people yellow because that's largely <laughs> offensive. Yeah. Um, and so... I don't know if if there will come a time where that's reclaimed in any way, um, but maybe then that will resonate with Asian people. But I still think there will be a whole subset of people that won't fit into that either. Um, and so it's always like a a game of of seeing what fits. And I think the that's the same issue with biracial people, right? So they don't fit into black and white or brown. They're a mix of these two kind of overarching things that our society wants to like pigeonhole everyone into. Thank you. Um Wow, almost lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to ask yeah, damn it. I really thought forgot what I was about to say. Um I'm glad to know how y'all feel about the term brown. That is good to know. Um do you so are there moments in which you felt um misunderstood? So like misunderstood by other people of color and white people. So for example, um like I had a conversation recently with someone who is not is a person of color, but they're not black. And they were like, oh, as people of color, you know, we go through blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, yes and no. Like, we do not walk in the world the same way. And mm-hmm. and when I and and what you're talking about in when you're black in America, you're an expert at this. Like, I'm a level. You're like B, C level. Like, I have to go through it more hoops than you do on this so it's like don't compare us just because you're like 20 years older than right. me like that doesn't you don't understand you'll never understand what it means to be a black man and then being mm-hmm. a black person who made it as far as i have like that especially like i look black like i'm not just black i'm black black so it's like <laughs> and, and some people may be funny, but i'm black black like i'm culturally black i people know i'm black when they see me mm-hmm. and the way i walk into a room and the way i and i have to um navigate is black so yeah it's just like yeah, I felt misunderstood in that sense. Are there mm-hmm. times you felt misunderstood by other people of color and um, or mm. white people um, or like they didn't stand up for you? So like there's other there's instances like I've been in several different jobs. and I've heard, let's say, people speaking in Spanish mm-hmm. and people will say like, oh, why are they not speaking English? Da, 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 right. da. And that comes from both people of color and white people saying that. And it's like, no. And, I, and, and I've learned and I deprogram myself. It's like, that's not OK. Mm. That yeah. is not OK. And that's a way I think that Latinx people in some way are um, mm-hmm. linguistically discriminated against. Um, so, like, yeah, I'm going like, to give the floor to you guys. Um, I actually would like to piggyback off of that. So on the linguistic matter. Um, so it's interesting because when I was growing up here, both of my parents, my dad spoke some English. My mom didn't really. Um and so my main language at home, of course, is Spanish. And so when I started school in the U.S., I grew up in Queens in a very white neighborhood. Um, and so when I started going to school, I was in an ESL class for the first two or three years um, that I was in school. Uh, our ESL class was very tiny because it consisted of probably the only three uh, minority, I guess, groups. Um 
or minority group people that went to the school. Um, and so when I like would go to quote unquote normal classes with everyone else, it made me really uncomfortable because I couldn't keep up with everyone else. I didn't know the words that everyone else knew. I knew them, but I knew them in Spanish. And so I felt really isolated when I started school and it made me very uncomfortable. I did really poorly in school mm -hmm. because I didn't want to learn. I didn't care to to assimilate or or I didn't care to get to know these people because They didn't want to get to know me because I couldn't relate to them linguistically. And then on the other side of that coin, whenever I went to Colombia, when I was younger, I would go like two to three months out of the year. So like all of our summer breaks, I would um, talk to people there and it was like I wasn't Colombian enough for them. So um, the term gringa is something that people know, right? So when you go to largely Sp uh, Spanish-speaking places, if you're an American, you're called a gringo or a gringa. So they, I, I got that nickname almost immediately because they were like, oh, she's from New York. She is not one of us. And so that was my identifying factor like she is not one of us and yet here when I was in school here I was not one of them either um, and so it was hard to manage that because my parents didn't understand they were like just learn English and get over it so um, and but they weren't able to facilitate any of that for me so I know that when I talk to other um My other friends that have parents that are immigrants, they're like, yeah, I did everything by myself. Like I learned the language by myself in the college process. I did everything by myself um, when I was navigating like friendships and jobs. I did everything by myself. I didn't have anything to go off of because my parents don't have that mm. experience. Yeah. That immigrant experience that make you tough as a motherfucker. <laughs> and they don't know you, but like, I can't just do that. Yes, you can. <laughs> I'm, like, I I'm like, don't you know? It's painful. I got feelings. Right. Damn it. I got feelings. <laughs> so, okay, Prachi and Tommy, um, have you had times that you felt misunderstood by other people of color or even white people based on like the way you're being treated and yeah. what you go through? Um, I mean, it's hard. I, I, For white people, it's, I guess, a little easier because, I mean, we've all got experiences where white people have misunderstood us. But I think the one that doesn't get talked about enough is is the people of colour versus people of colour. And I think I hope that there's more solidarity between, you know, people of colour. But I, I do think there's sometimes misunderstanding of, you know, the privilege that we carry and the fact that I know I carry privilege in the in the accent that I bring. Um, and perhaps in my, you know, ethnicity, I think as uh, it's hard to, it's always hard to understand because when you're living your life, you only see the disadvantage sometimes and you see the struggle and you see the stories. So it's hard to see from outside of that perspective. But I do remember I went to a very ethnically diverse school and I remember, um, my dad who I love because ethnic parents are the best and they will just like be so ruthless with you so it just <laughs> and it makes me so happy because I'm so much harder to life because of them so my dad knew that I was embarrassed of his like accent um when I used to go to school and I can't imagine the pain they must have felt when I was like no 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 like you have to sit at the back of 
my swim class because like everyone in New Zealand was white at that time. And I was like, I don't want anyone to know that you're different. Not that I'm different, by the way, that you're different. <laughs> and my mom's like, girl, you're brown. Like, I don't know if anyone's told you, but you look Indian. <laughs> you may not want to be Indian, but you are Indian. And my dad, to prove a point, picked me up from school. And I remember the other, like, other very ethnically diverse kids made fun of me. And my dad was like, I don't care. I'm going to be loud and proud. And my dad is very loud and proud. And he was like, baby, baby, I'm here. And I was like, dad, why are you doing this to me? So for like five years of my high school, like every time I walk down the corridor, like I have friends that will still be like, baby, <laughs> like, what are you doing oh at school? Um, but I think there's like this need to like make fun of others and not understand that sort of background. And I think it's hard. I feel like that in the professional workplace too, people don't know my struggle and maybe I don't share it as as often as other people do so I think people think that it's an easier walk and it is an easier walk to some degree but I I think there is some misunderstanding as what life is like as another immigrant third culture confusing us accent sort of person that like walks through this life so I don't know I think it's hard I definitely feel confused and misunderstood a lot and I don't often have the strength to like explain it to other people of color, I'm like, just be on my side. We're all on the same <laughs> side. Like, we don't need to fight amongst each other. I respect you and, like, I'll show up for you. And I think that's enough for me. It's interesting because, like, I also have family that's brown. And it's, like, I know that, for instance, like, when it comes to immigration problems, black people, especially black immigrants, we become invisible. Right. Because they don't know we're immigrants. We can blend in so well with American society. We just become second-class citizens. Yeah. But, like, people don't know my mom's an immigrant. She has a very American accent, but she could flip it back on if she wants to. Same thing mm. with her siblings, a lot, some of them. But she, um, they are invisible sometimes to immigrant issues. So like we talk about undocumented um, people, and right. they're like, uh, and just like they're not really, they don't understand the same way that someone who's like when they see you, like when they see someone who's Latinx and mixed, they know they're an immigrant, mm. or they know they have an immigrant past. Or if they see someone who is brown, they mm-hmm. know that. Or if someone is Asian, they know they're like, oh, there's some immigration that occurred. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know, like, for you, for instance, like, if you and I, I, I think the one trap that I think I try to help a lot of black people with is, like, our environment changes depending on where we're at and what the topic is. So, like, mm. yes, we get the low end of the totem pole a lot of times, but when it comes to, like, Americanness, we don't. So, like, a lot of times they'll come after you saying, like, there's, like, I think a lot of brown people suffer anti-terrorism mm. um, yeah. behaviors or um, slurs or, like, we go to an airport, I'm treated very differently at an airport versus yeah. a brown person. Like, especially my brown family members, I slide they be like, you're black and you got here? Ooh, just go through. You made it far. <laughs> I was like, thank you. But when you're brown in the airport, they're like, we need to know where you're from, who yeah. you are, all this stuff. And there's this, like, my Americanness is not tested as much. No. Um, and I think that's different in the sense when you're brown specifically, or even if you're Latinx, your Americanness gets tested. And you can be like, I'm Chicano. I've been here for like six <laughs> generations in. Mind you, this is my land too. Or if you're indigenous mm. too, and they're like, oh, I'm indigenous. So like, you must not be from here. No, they're indigenous. They they, they are from here. <laughs> this is their land. Right. We took their land. Um, but like, um, I think that's one place um that people don't recognize, especially other people of color, they don't recognize, like, oh, like, anti-Americanist doesn't touch black people. No. The same way it touches other people of color who aren't black, it's Mm -hmm. very different. We don't receive that end. No, and I think that post-9-11 life, like, I went to school in Texas after 9-11, and my dad was on a plane during 9-11, and 
and I feel like it's interesting to hear their perspective because my parents are very much like, well, we had the privilege to move here, so we're just going to assimilate. Assimilate or die is like, you know, and they're very positive people despite, like, countless racist, like, encounters. My parents just don't see the world in the same way and I think that's because they don't feel like this is their country. And for me it was always a slap in the face because I'm like, but I should belong here. I have every right to belong here and I don't belong here. And my parents are like, no, it's 4th of July. Just wear 4th of July colours at school. Like that's what I was told. It's like you have to pretend and that's how we get by. Like don't get angry about it. Just life isn't fair and that's fine. And um, it's a really interesting conversation. And I, I don't think people understand that security risk and how I see it very differently. I get very upset and offended. My dad is just very much like, yeah, listen, like that's just part of the, you know, part of the price that you pay to move to this country. And I'm happy and willing to pay that price. And I just let it slide off my shoulders. And he doesn't see it as like a systemic issue, like the fact that I have every right to to not be – um, taken in a different line when I go through JFK. Um, that's that's not something that he finds troubling. So it's it's also interesting that even within my own community, we have such different perspectives depending on whether you're first generation, second generation. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's very real. I used to pray for you on those work trips. You used to take up like, <laughs> girl, I hope you get through that security line. I mean, I wish anyone gets through that security line. But, it but sucks for everyone. Specifically, it's like, I'm like, they trying to bother you, like, I, I yeah, but um, but I also want to um touch on Tommy. So you you have a very you have a very unique experience being um biracial, and I want to understand a little more if you can elaborate on, like times you felt misunderstood by other people of color and white people. Uh yeah, I think you know most people who are biracial and look ambiguous will probably feel like they're misunderstood. Um. Something that happened very, very recently. I was out with uh, three of my friends, and they're all uh, East Asian, but from different parts, um, like Korean and Chinese, um, and from Singapore also. And you know, they were talking about some of their struggles as East Asians being, you know, perceived by um, you know Americans in general. Mm-hmm. And I was saying that you know I've never felt that way. I don't think that is true necessarily you know like have you like ever like what made you guys think this and their first response was well you can't really say anything because you don't even look asian so you're not going to be like perceived that way and he was kind of right but at the same time i was like okay well you're shutting me out of like this conversation that i could have with you guys like i feel pretty asian right um so that was like one example with my white friends, I think I also get misunderstood just because because I, like, again, look ambiguous. They think – I think they forget that I'm pretty ethnic sometimes and mm-hmm. sometimes they get, like, way too comfortable and they'll tell yeah. me, like, mm-hmm. oh, you tell know. us the secrets. <laughs> oh, the White Walker secrets. <laughs> oh, my God. They're afraid to tell but, us. They're afraid to tell black people specifically. They're yeah. afraid of us. But go ahead. No. Oh, my God. Like, well, I had this one – co-worker not where i'm currently working but like a couple companies ago um and you know he was like a trump supporter but i thought he was like a moderate guy and not like <laughs> too extreme and we were talking more and more and i'm pretty like politically independent so i pick holes at like everything and as a poli sci major like i just have to like be critical of everything 
and I was being critical of Clinton and he took that as a sign to like be like all pro Trump with me. And I was like, no, like I'm just critical of the whole thing. It's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> and he started saying like all these crazy things about Latinos. And I was like, oh, like, are you aware that like, my last name's Rodriguez? And like, just dude, you got to like chill out, you know, like this is a workplace and I'm not like some white guy from like Ohio or something, you know? So <laughs> It's totally not cool. Um, but that's just like one instance at work. But with my close friends who are white, they'll say to me like, oh, yeah, you know, like you pass as a white person. Mm -hmm. And I'll be like, that's weird because I'm not. Mm -hmm. So do not pass as a white person. And they'll say like, oh, it's because, no. you know, you speak properly. And <gasps> that's, I think, something – Oh, you're articulate? That's what they yeah. tell you? Yeah. You speak well? It's like a slave boy mentality. Yeah. You're articulate. It's, oh, I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> it's really insane. And I remembered that movie, Barry, um, with Barack Obama mm -hmm. going through college. I don't know if you guys yeah. saw it. Like, somebody said something similar. Like, why do you speak like a white person? Mm -hmm. And right. he was also, like, shocked, you know? And I just kind of related to that a lot. And I think mm -hmm. most people who are biracial mm -hmm. definitely feel like with their friends – they might not be categorized and then be treated in a certain way, whether it's with people of color or with uh, white people. Um, so, yeah, those are just some instances. Thank you, Tommy. Um, so I have um, one last question for us. As the sake of time, because we're running out of time. You know, who's going to sponsor me? Pay for my time. <laughs> um, but I want to um, go around the room because, look, I think we – I think our people suffer with so many forms of colorism due to images, colonial um, histories, um, devastations, um, conquerings, rapes, all this stuff. It affects our everyday life. I don't think history and us are, we're not, we're correlated. We are products of history. And, you know, we have people of color who want to try best, but they, we, we don't we don't have the best roadmap. We are we're figuring out, too, just like white people are figuring out. There are white people who don't know better either. Um, and then there's people of color who live in the sunken place and they legit want to please white people and be safe or just literally just make it up or they just do not. They have a lot of self-hatred. And to kind of combat this, I want to ask one question so that listeners can share this in their hearts, with their friends, with their communities. Um, I'm going to start with Adrian, and I want to ask, um, what is one what is one thing you would want to ask of people of color, all black, not black, um, that they can do to better support your experience? And I want to go around the room. I mean, you should uh, re-ask that question. <laughs> okay, so I'll, I'll do an example. So one thing that I would like to ask other people of color in my experience to understand that I am black and that I'm going to go through things that are a lot harder than you. And I, I need you to speak up for me because you're in spaces where you have more agency and people will not shut you out because you're not black and they will listen to you even more. You might not be white, but they'll listen to you a lot more. So please speak up about black issues because you have agency and it is helpful for me. And I will do the same for you when it comes to immigration issues and other issues that um, are not speci black specific, but are specific to you um, because we need to work together to make this change. You go now. Okay. <laughs> I think I get it now. Um, I mean, I would probably lift up um, 
asking folks to check um, check anti-blackness. Um, I think it's something that's so pervasive, um, and I've seen it on such a macro and, and a micro level, just a relationship level. Um, and I, I don't know if it's like it, it, the assimilation complex, I think, is so strong. Like people, like, right, we are, we are built um, to want to fit in. Um, and I feel like sometimes, right, particularly in POC spaces, how anti-blackness like shows up in a really strong way, even like particularly in the queer space, Mm -hmm. because that's a whole nother can of worms. But like, I really would ask folks to check their anti-blackness and and also would probably throw in there too. um, I think with that, I think comes a little bit of um, not just to ask for solidarity, but uh, you know, I I want you to put yourself in the line of fire, Mm -hmm. right? Like, right. I, I mean, I think, to, particularly right now with the climate that we're in, um, which I think no one, it's, it's not a surprise to anyone. We need people who are willing not just to be allies, but to kind of be traitors to the system, right? Um, and and that means like, yeah, a little bit jumping from what you had said in terms of speaking up and stepping out, but I, I need you to die. do a little bit more. Um, ride, or, ride or die. Yeah, I need you to be ride or die, right? Because <laughs> the stakes are just that high. Um, and I think people aren't necessarily willing to give up their privilege, um and and right now with black and brown people who are being shot and killed in the streets like literally mm-hmm. i mean what i think in chicago today like they finally convicted that police officer which mm-hmm. is like yep. crazy headlines like the fact that they finally got one mm-hmm. right um i just need people to put their, themselves in the line of fire mm-hmm. uh, for black and brown folks mm-hmm. um i think that for maybe the lighter skin communities um to not get so comfortable in their privilege um and to advocate for other people that can't um, or that aren't in a position of power to advocate for themselves. So I I ask that everyone who has some sort of privilege use that privilege for good and not just to get by or to feed their comfort. Yeah, I feel like I would echo that. I think there's a lot of privilege in the you know Indian-Australian community and I see a lot of people shying away from, you know, standing up for other people. And I think there's a lot of colorism. There's a lot of racism in our own community that I think we need to check. And we've gone far too long accepting certain phrases and certain assumptions. And I'd, I'd like to see people challenge that. And I definitely do my best to challenge my family and my community to to think about what they're saying, especially in terms of anti-blackness, which I see a lot in the Indian community and colorism a lot in the Indian community. Um, and I'm, I want people to have more uncomfortable conversations because if we don't do that, then I just feel like we're not getting closer to, to the world that we want to live in. Thank you, because the West Indian Douglas folk need you, girl. They need, oh, no. need, they need more brown people <laughs> in their families like you. They're suffering. You know, uh, they haven't they haven't the bad end of the biracial um, experience, so they need you. Um, Tommy. Yeah, um, I would say two things. The first is all people of color just need to realize that, you know, wherever they're from, when they're in the U.S., they are still a minority. And sometimes they might forget that if they're better off than other people, Mm -hmm. like economically, uh, maybe socially. Like I know a lot of East Asians, like Chinese and Mm -hmm. Korean people, you know, are also pretty racist and, 
you know, don't ever want to associate themselves with the struggles of blacks or Hispanics with immigration problems or with mm-hmm. any sort of like racial problem that's going on, like with any protests, you know, they're not as involved. I also think with Latinos, a lot of them coming in have this mindset that, you know, they're better than other Latinos because they're from one country versus mm-hmm. another. Like mm-hmm. I had one Mexican friend and I told him I was from El Salvador. Well, my dad's from El Salvador and he's like, oh, shit, like really? And I was like, yeah, he's like, that's, that's like a terrible country. You know, it's like so unsafe. I was like, dude, you know, like we're viewed the same way, like Mexicans or Salvadorans, like it, you can't make that distinction and then think like, you know, here in the U S we're still just like, you know, not going to go through the same struggle. Um, so I would just say that like all people of color need to feel like they're all a part of the same struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing, I guess, really quick is I was listening to this podcast recently. Um, started listening to a bunch because I work like 13 hours a day now. So I'm just like listening all day. But there was this one talk about how if you want to be heard, you have to be liked. And mm-hmm. it's really interesting. Like if you meet someone who has a different political opinion but you like them as a person and they come off like really respectful and polite, even if they have a different view, you will want to hear them and consider everything they're saying. Whereas if somebody comes off like very aggressive with their point, you're automatically going to not want to give them the satisfaction of, you know, considering their idea. And I just think that's something really important, especially in this time. I know, you know, there's been so much polarization, but we have to understand that we're all Americans and right or left or centrist. We all have our ideas and we everyone just needs to be heard, you know, before everyone needs to listen. I'm sorry, before we can be heard. And, you know, I th- just think that's a much more effective approach, too. Well, thank you guys for all sharing. Um, I got to say, I'm really humbled by this experience and I'm really excited. And this episode is much more than I ever imagined and dreamed of it being. And um, all I knew is that the conversation needed to happen because it wasn't happening. And we we have a lot of pain we carry with all our respective experiences and legacies. And we need to like work it out together. And I'm really happy that we were able to figure out a, a strategy, one, to have this conversation and bringing each of you in into this conversation. And I'm glad to have done this with you. And I'm always going to um, remember this moment. So thank you. Um, thank you listeners for tuning in and um, we're going to clock out.